Welcome to Back to My Garden. Discover your passion for gardening. Here's Dave Ledoux. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world when you listen to this. I'm Dave Ledoux, and welcome to another episode of Back to My Garden. And we have a unique guest for you today, folks. My neck of the woods, literally in terms of podcasting, uh, my neighbor. Uh, Phil loves growing organic uh, nutrient-dense food and writing about it at his incredible gardening blog, SmilingGardener.com, and teaching it and supplying the tools and resources to other gardeners to make their gardens better. We have a ton to discuss. He's on the opposite side of London, Ontario, in a small town like I am. Uh, please welcome to the show from SmilingGardener.com, Phil Nota. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Freezing. I know you are too. Yeah, the garden's under some snow right now. And that's a good thing. we got a ton to talk about. I gave you a little brief intro, and I want to hear your stories, and the listeners want to get to know you better, Phil. So take a minute or two and uh, just share with us a little bit about your background and how did you get into gardening. Uh, I grew up, my parents owned a garden center in London. I don't know if you knew that. Um, it was called Cedarbrook Gardens, and it was on Fanshawe Park Road, just east of Highbury. And so even as a kid, I was working in the garden center, uh, just maintaining the plants and maintaining the yard. And then as I got to be a teenager, I was doing a lot of the landscaping for them. So I've been gardening forever. Uh, and I think by the time I went to university, I swore I would never garden again. I had no interest in it. So I went and became a pilot of all things. Uh, and right about the time I graduated from university and I realized that flying airplanes wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, I, I kind of accidentally stumbled upon this course about organic gardening. And I thought, oh, I'll take that course. And I just fell in love with gardening again because this organic approach was totally different than what I had grown up doing. And uh, it was also about growing food, which was something I had never done before. And it was about taking more of a holistic, preventative approach to dealing with garden issues instead of um, reacting to them. So that was about 10 years ago that I discovered organic. And since then, I've done many different things in the world of organic gardening. Exceptional. Listeners, uh, Phil and I are going to sit back and chat for 25 minutes about organic gardening. Uh, I'll put all the links and resources and notes that Phil shares up on the blog at backtomygarden.com. Make sure you follow Phil. Uh, Go bookmark his site at www.smilinggardener.com. Where to start? I want to uh, maybe start with your first garden as an adult. Uh, what kind of caught your interest in the beginning? Was it flowers, vegetables, herbs? I think it was my first garden that I was really excited about was after I had started studying organic. And that's when I got into food. Uh, and along with that, the, the flowers and plants that would contribute to the health of the food garden. So in the end, it was always about growing growing healthy food. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a big conversation. I I've met so so many kids that are allergic. It seems allergic to vegetables, but really they have such high uh, allergies to chemicals. It seems. Yeah, I think there are different reasons. I think for some people that is a huge thing. Uh, if people go organic, I've I've I know people who have been 
quite sick and all they had to do was go organic. And for them, that seemed to be the piece of the puzzle that they needed. Uh, for other people, it's a lot of our, a lot of our store-bought produce, uh, conventional and organic, is just it's, it's so much lower in nutrition than it used to be and consequently so much lower in flavor. And uh, also sometimes people, I, I think we just live in such a busy world that we don't know how to cook as well as we used to. And so if you, if you know how to make a nice salad dressing or make a nice sauce and uh, properly cook vegetables without overcooking them, then they can taste quite amazing. <laughs> My in-laws are from Greece. And then after the war, everybody had a vegetable garden because, yeah. you know, the fascists took over the country after the war and you would have starved otherwise. And then... Uh, the kids of the war babies never grew. In Athens, Greece, it was uncool to have a garden. Wow. Until just now, when their economy collapsed, gardening saw an amazing resurgence. Of course, nobody knew how to garden. Yeah. Um, I see it happening today where uh, you go to a farmer's market, it's shocking how many people in their early 20s are into gardening. Yeah, it's so cool. Uh, we have farmers markets here that you go and there are 20 different stalls all selling all kinds of amazing things. You, and the hardest part is just figuring out who to buy from. It's really neat to see all the organic going on too at, at farmers markets now. Um, one of the things the listeners always email me about is they love to hear about the guests' personal gardens. Mm -hmm. uh, we just came off a very kind of weird weather summer. What was your garden like in 2014? Over the last uh, few years, and especially the last couple of years, I'm leaning more and more to perennial food plants as much as I can uh, because I don't always have a lot of time to do the gardening. It's always There's always something to be done when I do have the time, but I like to still have a harvest uh, even if I'm traveling or away or can't do as much as I want. And I just like the sustainability of not having to go and plant everything from scratch every year. So my garden every year is becoming more and more perennial. And uh, that's, uh, as many of your listeners may know, that's especially fruits, like fruit trees and shrubs are often perennial. But there are a, a number of vegetables and herbs that are perennial as well. And I'm far from an expert in, the, in perennial plants, but I'm just starting to plant more and more of them. And so I'm getting some interesting things. <laughs> uh, say more about that from a non-fruit perspective uh what were one or two of the highlights last year or lowlights did anything really frustrate you uh well there are always there are always some if, if i allow them to frustrate me they would but I've, I've kind of figured out how to not get frustrated by it but the way i plant my garden is is, is fairly hands-off so i plant things and i might come back a month later and see which ones were able to uh, make it without too much irrigation and weeding on my part so some things just don't come up and some do in terms of perennials uh, I did some Jerusalem artichokes, which are a, a kind of sunflower, but you you harvest the tuber, which are really cool. Uh, I did, I do some greens like lovage and sorrel, and there's a there's a kind of a lettuce. I think it's a lettuce or it's a green called Good King Henry. Um, horseradish is another one, and especially herbs like oregano and thyme. It's really neat to to plant a lot of herbs because you can use them every day. I use them a couple of times a day when I have access to them. So there are a lot of neat things you can do that are perennial. Man, the horseradish. Do you have you have clay soil too? I assume mm -hmm. that's right. The horseradish will go down about five six feet. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to build a shed on it when you're re when you're tired of it and ready to kill it. 
Yeah, I've heard that it can go that way, but um, I don't mind. It's, it's long, there's, and the Jerusalem artichokes, too. Once you have them, you have them. And same with something like um, comfrey, which is a thing a lot of permaculturists like to plant because it just has so many benefits for the garden. But once you planted it, it's pretty tough to get rid of. As long as you can kind of come to terms with that and keep it under control, I, I don't mind that. One of the cool things about doing this podcast is I've been interviewing a lot of gardeners from England. Mm. Uh, you go out the back of their kitchen, and they've got an 80-year-old garden, a 100-year-old garden, a 140-year-old garden. Wow. Um, just a way of life. I mean, everybody had a herb and kitchen garden with an easy access to the cooking. Yeah, and that's the way to do it if you can. I know a lot of people like to hide their vegetable garden maybe in the back corner because it's not the most beautiful thing to some people. But for me, I like to design a garden as part of the landscape. So it wraps around the house, comes off the kitchen, and it's a, it's a food garden mixed with beautiful flower plants too. And uh, even done in a very curvy, organic, natural way instead of having to be a big square. Uh, last summer, my neighbor comes out on his deck and he goes, I'm not one to usually complain, but your sunflowers are blocking my view of the horizon. <laughs> and I had these nine foot tall Goliaths and he was kidding. Like I, I give him all of my hot sauces and peppers and stuff. And he was just shocked at how tall. And then the Blue Jays killed about two thirds of my sunflowers. So uh, I learned a lesson on how to kind of deal with that using a old landscape fabric in a roll of duct tape. How did you do it? Um, the Blue Jays did not touch a seed until they were nearly ready. Like, they know when their dinner's ready to eat. So mm -hmm. I went, I got this from Nikki Jabour. She talked about it on her radio shows. You go in with the old landscape fabric, and it's almost just like creating a fabric cover for the head, and you duct tape it around the, the stalk of the head of the sunflower, maybe a two-foot square, like a, like a handkerchief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the moisture still gets through. They can still breathe, but uh, the blue jays can't get at it. Mm, you just do that at the end, right, right before they're getting ready to harvest? Yeah, like late September. Mm -hmm. and That's uh, great. Yeah, my neighbors must have thought I was crazy because I, I thought for a while, I'm going to chase them away. And every morning at 8.15, yeah. half a dozen blue jays would land in my garden. And I'm going out there, slippers and bathrobe, looking like a <laughs> lunatic. Yeah. I, I want to talk about Smiling Gardener because this project is a labor of love for you. And I know it's growing. Um it's this whole philosophy you have of organic gardening. You deal with the public a lot and you have customers. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making when they try to get into organic gardening? I think a big one is the same one I made when I first, uh, with my gardening clients, when I first started switching to organic, which is uh, kind of maintaining the mentality of conventional gardening and just, and just changing the products you use. So still when there are weeds, people are looking for an organic weed killer. And when there are aphids or insect pests, they're looking for an organic insect killer. Uh, and the same goes with, with fungal and bacterial diseases. And I think in order to be successful as an organic gardener, you really have to shift your mindset to and shift your paradigm to understanding that if you can create a soil and, uh, and plants that are optimally healthy, 
they're going to have almost no problems when it comes to getting attacked uh, by insects and diseases, and the soil is not going to have much in the way of difficult weed problems. And that takes a while to make that transition to building that healthy soil and those healthy plants, but it's just a different way of thinking. Wow, I had an aha moment. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a kid of the 70s. Like There was a poison for everything. You know, mm-hmm. kill all bugs. Bugs are bad. Mm-hmm. And now the marketers now, like if you stuck the word uh, diet or low calorie or fat free on a food, people bought it thinking it was part of a diet. Mm-hmm. So if you stick the word organic on weed killer, it's just a different version of the same problem, right? Yeah. And uh, even that word organic is, to me, becoming less and less relevant, although I consider myself, I still call myself an organic gardener because when I studied it, I was, that's, that meant something to me 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's a different way of thinking and certainly organic pesticides still, if they're killing the beneficial insects, or, or rather if they're killing the, the predators, they're still probably causing, dam- causing harm to many of the, the good guys too. So we still want to be thinking mindfully about how to use them. I'm very reluctant to uh, take antibiotics because Mm. I know they'll kill all of the good, healthy bacteria in my digestive tract. And then you got to take probiotics to replenish it. Mm -hmm. So when a gardener just goes crazy and blasts everything with poison, they don't consider, do they, that they're killing off as much good stuff as harmful stuff. No, they just probably haven't figured that out or they're just so desperate to get their plants, to get those insects off the plants that, uh, that they're not thinking about that. But certainly a lot of the people who come to my website and sign up for my, I have a series of free lessons and the first lesson is all about helping people change their way of thinking. Uh, and oftentimes people have started to do that a little more with their own health. I'm sh- certainly, it's obvious that not everyone has done that, but we realize with our own health that uh, if we are, eat a healthy diet and get exercise and try to reduce our stress, that we're going to be less susceptible to diseases, even really serious diseases like cancer and heart disease, and even just the common cold and the flu. Uh, and yet some people haven't maybe made that, figure that out in the garden. And so if you, can, if you can instead work on a holistic approach to improving the health of the plant, uh, it's actually really fascinating. Insects are very different than us. So humans and other animals go for, we prefer, at least we used to be able to figure out, like your birds can, what food is healthy and when it's ready to harvest and when it's nutritious. Uh, so that's what's best for us. Insects, on the other hand, and diseases, they thrive on imbalance. So if your plants are uh, sick because they've been actually pesticides cause sickness in plants. If you're spraying an insecticide, it's gonna it's gonna harm the nutrition in the plants. So if they're sick because of that, or because of f- fertility imbalance, or because they don't have their biological friends there, they they're not covered in all the beneficial microorganisms, then they're gonna be perfect food for an aphid who needs that. And so if an if an aphid were to come and land on a really healthy rose. They would not even see it as food because they can only digest food that is imbalanced in this way. I've been getting your uh, weekly tips, and I know you're passionate about uh, nutrienting the soil properly. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I call it your bag of tricks. Like if you're just getting started maybe with a customer or a client, how do you like to nutrient soil? Do you have any favorite techniques? Yeah, well, I have the... I have the simpler approach that I get people started with, and then when people are getting more serious, we get into a little more detail. So the simple approach is to um, try to bring in inputs that are going to provide a broad range of nutrition. And I'm sure you get talking with many of your guests about compost, and that's still my favorite. Uh, As long as it's well-made compost from many different source materials, uh, I guess one problem we can get into is if we're always composting from our own garden, we're we're not really able to fix the deficiencies in the garden because we're not because you know we don't have those minerals <laughs> to begin with, and so that's when at some point I like to bring in some outside inputs, even if I'm just in in the first few years of a garden to make sure I can get it to balance, and that's when I use uh, products, especially from the ocean, because the ocean is incredibly nutrient dense because all of our soils gradually wash that way the rivers go there volcanoes erupt and go there and so the ocean is a really nutrient-dense place and so we can get things out of the ocean like seaweed and like actually ocean water people are really lucky if they live near the ocean because they can get this stuff for free uh and if you if you don't live near the ocean you can buy it in just a bottle for quite a good price uh so that is how i like to bring in broad spectrum fertility into the soil and onto plants because it'll have over 70 minerals in ocean water and in a kelp. Whoa. So that's pretty amazing. I'm taking, that scratching noise is me rapidly taking notes. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's the one half of the equation is the, is the chemistry there we're getting. So we're getting, of course, we're getting nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, but we're getting 70 other minerals and vitamins in these products. And also people may have heard of like a rock dust is something that they might be able to get that's done more locally, which is uh, when the glaciers move across the earth, they break up and combine many different kinds of rocks. So it often ends up being a nice broad spectrum fertilizer. So that's, that's, the, that's the chemistry side of things. But then what's really fascinating and has been going on for the last decade or two and is going to continue is we're focusing more on the biology. and uh, Plants need proper balanced microbial biology in the soil and on their leaf surfaces in order to utilize the minerals and also for other things because that these beneficial microorganisms offer uh, defense they help plants defend themselves they bring water they convert nitrogen and nutrients and make them available to plants so we need to bring those in often to our gardens because our gardens are uh if certainly if we've used any uh chemical fertilizers or pesticides in the past, we can harm that beneficial biology. And for many other reasons too, we just live in quite a polluted world. So again, compost, if you're making a good compost pile, a lot of people don't know that the main benefit of that, sure, we get some nutrients and we get some organic matter, some carbon for the soil, but we also are growing and multiplying these beneficial microorganisms. And then when we don't have enough compost around, which is pretty common, you can make something called compost tea, or my favorite product is just something you can buy, again, in a a one-quart bottle that's called Effective Microorganisms. And these are just like bringing probiotics into your garden so that the plants can utilize the fertilizers you're bringing into the garden. Whoa, 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 whoa. Big, big, big aha moments there, because you said if you have a closed system, for example, if you're only composting your beet tops and carrot tops, 
you're never going to have a source of the missing nutrients. Yeah, that's right. And I, I'm all for doing as much on site as you can and locally and finding local materials to use. But uh, they're just, especially in the beginning, even in permaculture, where they're very concerned with sustainability, there's, we all agree that you want to get some balance going on. Uh, I had the privilege to interview Joel Ample, who's got a big gardening show on PBS and on his blog he wrote about his biggest mistake last year was buying uh, manure from a farmer that had used poisons on the soil yeah I I get emails about that occasionally it can be devastating Uh, can just knock out your whole garden if you are using that kind of manure so it's great if you can find local organic manure and even then I would still compost it first but um, yeah there's some there's some amazing toxins in a lot of conventional manure. Man, sometimes doing these calls, I'm almost clinging to the edge of fear sometimes when I think about how messed up our food system and planet is. Yeah, I used to be pretty upset about that too, and then I got tired of being upset about it. And I think that's one of the reasons why my website is called Smiling Gardener. Uh, I just don't, I didn't want to be whining anymore. I wanted to focus on the positive and there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow really healthy organic nutrient-dense food and inspire our neighbors and friends and family to, to do the same. So yeah, our food system is pretty messed up, but all we can really do is do our best to just leave our little mark and make it better. So might as well do that. That's what we're doing. <laughs> I just glanced at the clock, Phil, and our time is whipping by. Uh, now is the time in the show where we play a game called Five Quick Questions. All right. This is your chance to share your wisdom and experience with novice rookie gardeners. Are you ready to play? Mm-hmm. Question number one. What's the funniest or most outrageous or most unusual mistake that you've made in the garden that you're willing to admit to in public? Um, a couple of years ago, I was... So I guess I never told you, and I'll be brief, but I never told you about the more um, complex way I help I help gardeners who are really serious about growing nutrient-dense food. And that gets into uh, sending a soil sample to a really good organic soil lab and then applying specific nutrients that that you know your soil is deficient in. Because we don't want to be going and applying a lot of, say, dolomite lime when unless we know our soil needs calcium and magnesium. So based on a soil test, we can apply specific minerals. And a couple of years ago, I did that and I applied uh, boron, which is something that we only need in a couple of parts per million in the soil. But I just did some bad math and I applied about, I don't know, 40 times too much boron. And uh, my tomato, I got to see what tomatoes look like when they have an excess of boron, which was quite fascinating. But uh, when you when you are doing this, getting really specific with, with micronutrients, you want to double check. What is it? Uh, Measure twice, cut once. You want to measure twice and spray once when it comes to applying these things. Math is bad. So that's the <laughs> takeaway. Math is bad. Good. If you want to see uh, what a 3,000-pound tomato looks like, go to smilinggardener.com. <laughs> uh, question number two. If you were only allowed to grow one plant next year, what plant would you have to grow? There's a plant called a gumi which is pretty marginal here, um, but it's a, it's a nitrogen-fixing plant that also provides food. And it's always nice in a garden if you can plant things that give you more than one benefit. So whenever you're starting a garden, it's great if you can include, I like to include up to 
nitrogen-fixing plants in there because it'll help uh, nitrogen-fixing plants host uh, these certain bacteria on their roots that take nitrogen out of the air and turn it into nitrogen that your soil and plants can use. So a gumi is a neat plant because it does that, but also provides berries. So uh, I don't know if I, it's probably marginal here, but I would love to try to grow that. Wow, Phil, 100 podcasts. Nobody has dropped the name Agumi. It's G-O-U-M-I. Oh, I had an E on it. I will have a link, folks. Don't try to write that down on your iPhone when you're driving. I'll have a link on the blog. Uh, Question three. Obviously, everyone listening should go to smilinggardener.com. Do you use the internet for garden resources at all, Phil? Do you have one or two favorite blogs or resource websites? I don't do a lot of blog reading, but I do read research coming out of the organic organizations. And I just, I get their emails every month and I go and read their research. Um, There are a couple of places that I do send people. For people who are interested in compost tea, there's a Google or a Yahoo group. And you just have to search for compost tea Yahoo group. And that's for learning how to make a really high quality compost tea. There's also... um, See, I'm more, I more learn from the organic agriculture world. So like Acres USA uh, is the publisher who published my book, and they put out amazing books on organic horticulture. And they also have some free information there too. Uh, so those would be a couple. Perfect uh, feed into question four, which is about gardening books. Uh, is your gardening book on your site, or is it also available like on Amazon or anything like that? Yeah, it's definitely on Amazon. It's called Building Soils Naturally, and uh, and it's also available from Acres USA. And yeah, it's a it's a look at some of these things we've been talking about today, just how to build up incredibly delicious soil that grows incredibly delicious plants. Because as all of your garden, uh, listeners know by now, it does start with the soil. Do you have a favorite personal gardening book? I have a, a lot, and most of them are from Acres USA. Um, I'm fascinated by building soil. So there's one called Science in Agriculture by Arden Anderson, and it's a little bit more of a high-level book for people who are interested in science. Um, and there's another one that's a, a little bit easier, which is called The Non-Toxic Farming Handbook uh, by Phil Wheeler and Ron Ward, who also run a a really great soil lab in the U.S. called Crop Services International. So those books are great for learning how to build your soil. I love it. Because we have a lot of urban uh, garden listeners, Phil, who, you know, patio gardens and container gardens. Mm -hmm. It's even more important, right, to feed those kind of beds. Yeah, um, definitely is. And when you're buying a potting soil, it's often not going to be balanced in Nutrition is not going to have that much in it. It might. It's often going to be heavily based on peat moss, which uh, has some issues, maybe a couple of benefits. But if you can incorporate some of your own or buy some quality compost, uh, I'm looking behind my computer here at uh, a worm bin I have for making my own compost from my kitchen scraps. And I have some seeds started up on the ledge. And behind that, I have my bottles of liquid kelp and liquid uh, concentrated ocean water and that effective microorganisms product I told you about and another one which is a mycorrhizal fungi product uh, which is a fungus that forms a relationship with the roots of plants and offers many benefits there and so when you're growing in containers you even have more of uh, 
kind of an obligation to introduce this biology and this broad spectrum nutrition in there. Wow. For all my container gardener listeners, you got to head over to Smiling Gardener. Oh, that's awesome. That's you, you won't find that at big box stores, that's for sure. Yeah, not too much. You might, if you're lucky, find a liquid kelp, but you want to make sure it's uh, a lot of the conventional liquid kelps have chemicals added to them. So you want to find an organic one that was cold processed so that it was, it was processed at cold temperatures so it retains more of the benefits. Question number five, you're, no right or wrong answer. You're looking into your crystal ball. Here we are, <laughs> a foot of snow on the ground and 20 below. What's your plan for this year? What do you want to try growing? Uh, what are some of the trends you're watching? Uh, what excites you about 2015? In terms of growing, it's just going to be more and more perennials uh, and less and less things that I have to seed every year. So I'll be, I guess I'll be figuring out what that is still. Um, I think where gardening is going to head over the next, it might take over the next decades, but we've talked today about chemistry and biology, and I think we're going to get more into physics, if you will, um, in terms of energy. I think there are a lot of very alternative and kind of wacky sounding things that have been discussed for a long time, like a favorite book of mine from the 70s is called The Secret Life of Plants. And there's a, there's a kind of a companion book called Secrets of the Soil. And they talk about using uh, kind of homeopathic remedies on plants, which is a very energetic, controversial thing. Uh, they talk about using radionics machines and broadcasting frequencies, using music to help improve plant growth. I think we there's a lot of cool stuff that we can get into when it comes to manipulating energy instead of just uh, chemistry and biology. Amazing. Yeah. we got to feed 9 billion people somehow, and we can keep doing it with killer chemicals and genetic modification, or... Yeah, we, can, uh, we, we really have an opportunity to do it organically, and we can still use modern technologies, but we just want to do it sustainably. I love it. When in doubt, go vertical. That's my yeah. philosophy. True. Yeah. Build a fence and just grow up the fence. There's some amazing Pinterest boards where they show conceptual gardens in cities where they've cleaned out one or two floors of a skyscraper. Yeah, that's really neat. And I know there are cities like Havana, Cuba, where most of the food is grown uh, locally, like 85% or something like that. It can be done. We just need uh, people to want to do it. Very good. Your mission is admirable, Phil. You're, uh, you're leading wisely. You too, man. It's a, it's a blast to be in this world. Uh, listeners, make sure you hook up with Phil at www.smilinggardener.com. Uh, he has a, a free newsletter filled with tips. He has an ebook download, uh, Holistic Gardening Handbook, an organic fertilizer guide, so many goodies and treats. you got to head over there. Phil, uh, you've been an incredible guest. The time has flown by. It's been a blast. I've loved chatting with you today. we got listeners now in over uh, 62 countries and, and growing. I want to invite you to address them, give you the last word to the listeners today. Can you share with them a, a pearl of wisdom or a message of inspiration? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, what gets me so excited about gardening is is growing food and growing nutritious food. And for that, I just always bring people back to the soil 
and thinking about not only the chemistry of the soil, but also the biology and finding ways to improve uh, both of those. And I, I just think it's a fun thing to do. Outstanding. Thanks for being on the show, Phil. Thank you, sir. It's been a blast.